Welcome to the Say Yes to Holiness podcast. I'm Christina Simmons, your host, and thanks for joining me today as I seek to inspire, encourage, and accompany you on the journey towards holiness by sharing food for the head, heart, hands, and feet, so we may grow closer to God, become more like Jesus, and through friendship, discover the life God created us for, lives of purpose, peace, and abundance, rooted in the hope that with God's grace and mercy, we can become the living, breathing, wonder-working saints that the world so desperately needs. Hello, and welcome to episode 189 of the Say Yes to Holiness podcast. This is Christina Simmons, your host, and today I have a wonderful guest, Susan Winley Doust. She is the author of The Four Ways Forward, Becoming an Apostolic Parish in the Post-Christian World. And to set aside all of the titles that are there, the big thing is, is that she is doing what she can in order to help people who are too wounded to get to Jesus on their own, to be able to come to him, know him, fall in love with him as much as he loves them. And she has taken all of her work. Uh, she was a uh, former tenured department chair um, at uh, University of St. Thomas uh, in Minnesota. And then she was at St. Mary's University of Minnesota and her own personal journey, which she shares, you know, in our, in the midst of our conversation is a beautiful one of how she saw the Holy Spirit moving her out to do something different than she had envisioned initially. And it has become, uh, in her words, something that has just been really, really good. Um, and isn't that the way our Lord is? So one of the biggest things is that this is an opportunity for you to hear about how it is that you might be able to change a few things that you might not be so excited about at your parish. You might see your parish and people are just kind of going through the motions. And Susan talks about some very specific things that you can do in order to help bring about some renewal at your parish, even more important during this year of Eucharistic revival at the parish level. So I hope that you really enjoy this conversation as much as I did. And I will see you on the flip side with some resolutions. Hello, and welcome to the Say Yes to Holiness podcast. I'm Christina Simmons, your host, and today I have a most wonderful guest. She is an author of a recent book. She's actually written several, but we're going to be talking about her most recent book. Um, but into the, into the midst of that, um, also talking about how it is that we ourselves can help uh, be those missionary disciples and sharing the good news in the world. So, uh, Susan, welcome to the podcast. And uh, would you mind sharing where you're, where you are, um, in in the sense geographically, and then share a little bit about your about your journey. Oh my! Well, thank you. <laughs> I mean, that that could take a while, but the easy mm -hmm. part is I'm Susan Windley Doust. Um, I work with the Diocese of Winona, Rochester, in Minnesota. I'm director missionary discipleship so uh, i live in the upper midwest and i have for uh quite a while now almost 25 years um, so but i'm actually a child of the south uh born in virginia 
and we moved around an awful lot when I was growing up. Uh, but I went to school. Uh, I went to colleges and universities in the South. And uh, the Lord decided to uh, test my opinion of weather. <laughs> and uh, I got a job in Minnesota. So that's what initially took me here. But uh, it, it's all very, very good. I, for many years, I was a college professor first at the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, and then at St. Mary's University of Minnesota here in Winona, um, probably about 21 or 22 years. I was a college professor in theology, and uh, I was chair when I uh, was concluding my time there. And I really thought I was going to retire there, to be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, but God had other things in mind. Uh, one of the things that happened when I was uh, first appointed uh, to the theology professor role at St. Mary's was that I began teaching a course called Christian View of the Human Person. Mm -hmm. And Christian View of the Human Person was a general education course. It was the second general education course that students would take. It was really a here comes everybody kind of course. Uh, and St. Mary's, um, you know, especially when I started, was about 60, 40 Catholic and not Catholic, but mostly Protestant. And when I was teaching this course, when I was creating it in the first place, I had this crazy idea. It's like, you know, maybe I'll put in there the opportunity for them to write their own spiritual autobiography. I don't know that anybody will actually do it. But that would be kind of fun. That would be a little different from regular. Uh, but I was so wrong about this because I did put it in and seriously, 97, 98% of the students who took that course ended up writing a spiritual autobiography. Wow. They had they had another option. I, I gave them another option in case they weren't comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. But they always chose whether they were frankly Catholic or atheist or in between to write the spiritual autobiography. They found it kind of fascinating. It's like nobody's ever asked me this before. So when I started at St. Mary's and, and this was oh you know what year was that? Around 2002. Mm -hmm. When I started at St. Mary's, I would get these beautiful spiritual autobiographies, you know, students really just trusting their heart with me. It was really so humbling and so touching. Most of them were Christian. Most mm -hmm. of them are Christian. I mean, absolutely. They had questions. They were working on things. It's, but they were Christian. They were very comfortable identifying as such. And then about 10 years later, things began to significantly change. And the thing is our demographic at the university really didn't change all that much. Students were still coming from the same areas, you know, more or less the same racial ethnic makeup and all of that. The one thing that was really changing was that students were no longer identifying as Christian. Mm. And it began to creep on me a little bit. And it's like, oh, this is maybe not quite the divide that I had prior. Uh, but really, by the time I got to 2016, 2017, all of a sudden, very few students were really identifying as Christian. Now, they might write down Catholic, they might write down Lutheran, you know, on, on their statement. But in terms of when they were sharing this paper with me, when they were sharing this observation about their lives, you know, they were admitting, like, I just don't know that I can really consider myself a Christian. What it was, was the rise of the nuns. Mm -hmm. 
okay, mm -hmm. which a lot of people have talked about since then. And that is um, by nuns, it's N-O-N-E-S. And that means the people who would check none of the above mm -hmm. on the what religion do you belong to? None of the above. I was getting a whole lot of none of the above. Now they were spiritual, mm -hmm. so I, but they weren't willing to commit to a particular religion. And they would say that they were okay with that. Mm -hmm. but they weren't okay with that. Right. <laughs> that was the thing that was just abundantly obvious. I would read these papers and there was just more and more and more misery and tragedy mm -hmm. and so much sadness, so much sadness. I mean, it would be one thing to take if they suddenly were saying that they weren't comfortable identifying with a religion and that made them a lot happier. Mm -hmm. But that clearly was not the case. I mean, they were increasingly miserable. And that's another thing that's really borne out by a lot of statistics that that, that particular age group, and, and now this is a group that's in their uh, mid-20s, late-20s at this point, uh, were just, you know, some of the loneliness people on record, uh, loneliest generation on record, a huge rise in mental illness issues, right? Mm -hmm. So much more depression. So much more anxiety. And I don't think it's quite as simple as like no religion. Okay. And right. all of a sudden they're miserable. It's not quite that simple, but I do think those things are absolutely connected. They're right. absolutely connected, but they didn't see them as connected at all. Right. Anyway, I was reading these uh, spiritual autobiographies. And one time I got to like the 10th paper in a row where a student was saying, it's like, well, you know, Christianity in the end, I just don't know. I mean, meh. Okay, that, that that's kind of an upper Midwest thing, maybe. <laughs> the M E H. Meh. It's like, eh, whatever. You know, whatever. Right. Um, it's like, I wish it were different, but it's not. That's where I am. And I just think, you know, sit there and so they're miserable, you know. I, I'm teaching them what I think is some really good and beautiful theology. And this isn't even their first course in it. This is their second, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't expect everybody to be won over by a couple of courses, but you expect something. Uh, you don't expect this kind of just profound malaise. That's, I guess that's maybe the best word for it. This profound malaise that God couldn't quite be true god couldn't quite transform their lives god couldn't be the source of happiness mm -hmm. so i began praying uh because i was just so distraught by this and asking the lord what's going on and this doesn't happen to me all the time in prayer but this time it did uh, the lord just gave me this image of the good samaritan story and i went hmm well what's up with that Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you're leaving them bleeding on the side of the road. Mm -hmm. And it's just sort of, I actually pushed back pretty hard. <laughs> like, wait, 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 what? Mm -hmm. It's like, how can you, what do you mean by that? Because here I am. I mean, I'm teaching them. I'm trying to be a mentor to them. It's like I have this open door policy with my office hours, all these things. It's like, I just don't understand why they can't pick themselves up and walk that about 200 yards from wherever they are on campus into our chapel, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> that, that is, you know, a source of so much peace and hope and love. And I just got really strongly again, 
you know, back in my mind, in my heart, it's like, they're far too wounded to get there on their own. Mm. And that stopped me uh, because I thought, wow, okay, well, this is exactly what I've been reading, honestly, mm-hmm. is about this profound awareness of their woundedness. Um, and they are wounded. I mean, there's a lot going on out there. It's a culture that wounds people right now. Yeah. But but this woundedness was so encompassing that it didn't really give them an opportunity to say this is where the healer is. This is where, you know, the divine physician is. It's kind of, it, it, it's almost like, like in the book, I, I say it's like, it, there's a kind of cruelty to this when we don't recognize this. It's like when, somebody has broken a leg, you don't give them a lecture about how to mend a leg, mm-hmm. right? You split right. the leg. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> first things first. And that was really the lesson that I got mm-hmm. with my students. It's kind of first things first. They need evangelization before they need this theology. So um, to make a, a long story, have a somewhat short end, this led to me leaving the academy and leaving my position um, mm-hmm. because I was going to do evangelization that's clearly what the lord wanted me to do that's why he revealed this to me i wasn't really sure how that was going to happen um because i just didn't um but then a few days after i made that decision uh, the man who was the vicar general of our diocese at the time came to me it's like you know this is a crazy question but would you ever think about being a director in our diocese of missionary discipleship like you know like evangelization (laughs) it's like oh yes yes actually i would (laughs) so that's a little Uh, bit of my story uh but but it's amazing because you know we look back and we see you know and it was just like you know as you're sharing you know with the vicar general you know his invitation to you and i can almost hear you know our lord speaking through him and then it's kind of like our lord's going and just to make sure you don't miss that this is the invitation you know, like evangelization, you know, just yeah, to make yeah, yeah. sure, you know, right. you know, here's the neon sign for you. Right, uh, exactly. And, uh, yeah. Uh, and Yeah, I laughed out loud. It was funny. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, um, what does that mean? It's like, yes, it means yes. <laughs> well, I, I, I uh, you know, you could almost say that uh, Mary probably laughed aloud um, you know, when, when uh, Gabriel showed up and said so you know, uh, and, uh, as she said, yes, uh, probably there, there was laughter that was present, probably. Uh, but, uh, probably. so you, you have this, this moment, you're, you're brought mm-hmm. into a new sphere of, you know, evangelizing and, um, and your, your latest book is speaking about, um, how it is that we can, you know, we can move forward and we can live out that evangelization. Um, right. right. So not just, you know, individually, but also you might say corporately. Um, right. And, you know, so one of the things that fascinated me, you know, uh, so the name of your book, of course, is The Four Ways Forward, Becoming mm-hmm. an Apostolic Parish in a Post-Christian World. I think that's probably one of the main things that I've found. If there's resistance, it's the fact of saying, yes, we are in a post-Christian world. We're in an apostolic mm. you know, world. Right. Uh, but 
where the genesis for this come from? I mean, I'm, I'm sure probably some of it from your work, but share a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah, actually, a lot of it came from my work. It, it was a very practical thing when it comes right down to it. I mean, one of the first things I did in this position, which was um, new to our diocese, the missionary discipleship position, was that I met with every pastor in our diocese um, kind of on his own ground, um, either in his parish or in his cluster, which was uh, good on so many levels, uh, really. I, it was still one of the favorite things that I've done, honestly, in this position was to be able to see you know, this is what these parishes look like and meet people and all of that. Um, one thing that was really clear from the conversations with the pastors is that nobody's against evangelization. They may prefer to use different language for it, like sharing the gospel or what have you. But I mean, not surprisingly, they're not against it. The, the biggest problem was really trying to decide what to do, right? Mm -hmm. And in some cases, I guess there are a couple of reasons for this. I mean, one of them is that really almost everyone in the United States has not had this model for them, right. right? We're all doing something that is new to us. It's not necessarily new to the Catholic church. We have a whole history here, but it's new to us. Mm -hmm. So everybody's having to do something new together. Okay. And that includes the pastors. Okay. Mm -hmm. They haven't seen this model either, uh, but they're responsible for trying to bring it about. And that's a pretty significant responsibility and perhaps feels like a burden too, um, if you feel like it's like, I've never even seen this done before. You know, how, how, right. how do I lead people into this? And the other thing that I learned was, well, they've been trying. It's like, as have a lot of parish staff, as have a lot of really devout lay people. And there's a lot of good that has been happening in the past 20 years. I mean, the, this whole new evangelization you know, certainly the language comes from um, Saint, Pope St. John Paul II, mm -hmm. but there's also, it, it's not just a top-down thing. There's been so much happening from the grassroots, um, almost too much, you might say, at this yeah. point, because now people are looking, it's like, oh, we've got like this abundance of riches right. around evangelization in the United States, especially Catholic evangelization. Where do I even start? Mm -hmm. it's like, or maybe they tried one thing, and that one thing got them a little bit further, but, but didn't turn everything around. It's like, why didn't this work? I mean, it's just all the stuff that comes with, we're all doing something that's new and it's challenging and it's important and we want to get this right. So I began to do a deep dive into all of the different programs and processes that have arisen in the past 20 years or so, I, I knew the theology behind evangelization pretty, pretty decently at that point. But in terms of what was actually happening on the ground, a little bit less so. And one of the things that I recognized pretty quickly was just like, oh, well, this is the big insight of this process. And this is the big insight of this other process. And then this one, and they're kind of dividing into categories, but they're not using that language because right. they don't have it. They're, they're just saying, it's like, this is really important to evangelization. And it is, uh, but it's not the only thing that's important to it. So the mm -hmm. more I looked at it, it's like, this really divides out very neatly. And if you put all this together, it actually does provide a path. It mm -hmm. does provide a path, but um, we've been so focused on the to-do list in terms of evangelization. We haven't necessarily 
felt like we've had any time to step back and look at the bigger picture. And I think, I think I just happened to walk into this at a time where people were recognizing we need some of the bigger picture yep. in order to make good decisions now about mm-hmm. what the next thing is to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's not idle, uh, idle reading to do mm-hmm. so. So my book is a little bit of that, you know, what's the bigger picture here? It's meant to be very hopeful and that's like, hey, all right, so we've never done this before, but our church has done this before. And guess what? It looks like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it looks like this. And here's the new twist on the reality that we're in in the United States in the secular age. And the Holy Spirit's been on overdrive just in terms of inspiring so many people and apostolates and uh, programs and processes. And they all you know, actually break down pretty neatly. If you understand these things, you're able to assess what your community needs, what your parish needs, and then do that first step with more deliberateness and also know what the next step and the next step are going to be because one step is not going to do it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's just the truth. It's just the truth. You don't change a culture by implementing one program one fall. I mean, it's silly when you even say it out loud, right? But yeah. you kind of keep hoping because <laughs> yeah. that would be nice. We want the easy the button. Easy we want button. the easy button. That's right. We want mm-hmm. the easy button. And this yeah. isn't necessarily hard, but it does require intentionality and deliberateness as well as a lot of prayer and planning and uh, some vision. Mm-hmm. So that's why I wrote the book. I mean, it was really meant to be an entirely practical way of putting before so many people that are trying to turn their parishes around ways to think about how to do that well. Mm-hmm. The Lord has given us so much. I just tried to provide a little bit more of a framework for understanding what the Lord has given us. Mm-hmm. That's the book. Yeah. That's the book. yeah. So, um, so speaking of, um, so a lot of my work has been, you know, kind of similar to yours and where mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, it's, it's a puzzle, you know, and we need all the puzzle pieces and they don't necessarily have to be put together, but you need to know, you know, that you have the pieces in order to then try and start putting it together. Um, So if you don't know that you need that piece, then you're going to be floundering and you're going to go, why isn't it working? You know, we we did this. exactly. Um, So we talked, you know, you, you just shared, you know, so like four ways kind of emerge. So what are those four ways? Sure. Um, yeah, these, these are what I call four models mm-hmm. of evangelization in the United States right now. Um, one is the radical hospitality and first proclamation model. And it just basically, the, the genius of it is wedding two different um, insights. And that is, we need to be turned to the other and welcome the stranger as Christ, right? And we need to greet that person, maybe not in the first five minutes, but we need to greet that person, welcome that person with what's called the first proclamation or the kerygma. And mm-hmm. that is the heart of the message of Christianity, that God is good. God loves you. God has an incredible plan for your life. And you could sort of expand from there. Some people would say it's John 6, 316 moment. It is, right? That's one way of articulating the kerygma. So Radical hospitality and first proclamation. That's one model. The second model is the spiritual multiplication model. Um, and 
if people are familiar with Focus, which works on college campuses, and it's had really some enormous success in this realm, um, that is a really clear-cut example of a spiritual multiplication model. It's the idea that you don't just work with people in small groups to really challenge them to go deeper into their discipleship. You also challenge them to share that with someone else. So it's basically not just making disciples, it's making disciples who make disciples, mm -hmm. right? And when you do that uh, deliberately, every time, the spread of Christianity multiplies mm -hmm. rather than just adds one at a time, right. okay? It's, it's kind of based on the book of Acts when you come right down to mm -hmm. it. Acts work that way a great deal. All right, so that's the second one, spiritual multiplication, small groups. The third one is the organizational uh, mission refocus. Okay, so this, this sounds kind of wonky and people who like um, strategic planning love this one. <laughs> and people who don't like it really don't, uh, but it is really necessary. And that is if your parish has been doing uh, its, its ministry in a particular way and to a particular mission field for decades and decades and decades, um, and the mission field has changed. The people who are in the surrounding community have changed. So that means strategically how you think about mission has to change too. And that may require some reorganization of your energies, right? Of frankly, what you're putting your money into, uh, what types of positions you have, if any, in your parish. Um, Right. I mean, I, I think we've seen this over and over again. It, it's super obvious if you're in a city and in the inner city, it used to go ahead and connect, uh, parish would connect with um, immigrants who came over 100 years ago, but they're all gone now, right? right. And it's an entire, entirely different surrounding community. So you need to rethink, like, who are we? Who do we serve? Mm -hmm. All right. Fourth, uh, last one is the signs and wonders model. So it's really not being shy about our miracles okay <laughs> that's a really short way to put it it's like christianity is a religion of the supernatural that doesn't mean that faith and reason don't work together when they're properly understood they absolutely do but i think we spent so much focus on that um in, in the past few decades or even longer and that we've become very shy about sharing the signs, the wonders, the miracles, the witness, right? Uh, it's like people are too too quick to say, it's like, well, I'm a really religious person, but that's a private thing. Like, you should never feel forced to share your beliefs. But on the other hand, you should really challenge yourself to want to share your beliefs in the right circumstance with the right person, right? Private does not mean that uh, well, first off, it's not really private, it's personal, okay? It's personal. But we are meant to live our faith publicly, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus says many things about this, like well, the light under a basket thing. Yeah, that's us, okay? <laughs> Lift that basket up and share your witness. Share why you believe Jesus Christ has changed your life. Mm -hmm. So uh, th those are the four models. And there are different programs and processes that really fit in those models, which if you're familiar with them, you may know it already. Right. But oh. yeah, those are the um, four. Yeah. Um, and I, I think 
you know, probably the, the one thing that just kind of really sank in, you know, for me, you know, and, and it's in your book description too, you know, is just the fact that every fruitful, joyful, evangelizing parish has to embrace the insights and methods of at least three of these four. Right. And it goes back to, I think, what we were saying, you know, earlier, which is, hey, you know, you tried something and it didn't work. And you're like, why isn't it working? It's like, because that's only one. Right. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, Often that's the case. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, even, even, I don't know if worse is the proper term, but even more so they did one program, which is a tool. They didn't do one path. So it was right. like, they were trying to use a program yes. to take care of all of radical hospitality. And that's not, you know, um, that's right. And but, programs are great tools, but but we we tend to expect far too much from them. Mm. We tend, and, and that's one of the, I, I hope, useful pieces of understanding these models is kind of, if you've got three of them, your chances of being fruitful just went up exponentially mm -hmm. because the three models sort of check and balance each other a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and they also meet people that are on different stages of the path. Mm. Like, you know, one of the things that I tend to find with parishes is that they really, really want to train their people to be evangelists before they go out and evangelize. And there's a certain level where it's like, well, of course you want to do that, right? It does make a lot of sense. But on the other hand, you can get into this, we're training to be evangelists loop that mm. seems to never, ever, ever end, right? Yeah. We're not ready yet. It's like, you know what? It's actually not that hard. <laughs> right. I mean, for yeah. sure, you want you want people you want people who are well catechized, right? I mean, that, that that's a good thing in and of itself. You want people with a deep deepening spiritual life, good in and of itself. But on the other hand, I've also seen people who are you know brand new baby Christians be some of the most effective evangelists mm -hmm. just because they're not shy about it. Yeah. Right. They, they didn't wait until somebody told them, okay, now you're ready. Right. Right. So, yeah. Well, look at Paul. I mean, you know, shoot, he right. failed miserably in Athens, but right. he learned and he right. obviously got better. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's the other thing, right? You're, you're absolutely not going to get better until you practice it some, mm -hmm. until you yeah. practice it some. That's just how you do it. You do it by learning. You, you learn it by doing it in this case, very much so. Mm. Yeah, the, those practicums uh, are uh, are essential uh, for, right. uh, for for this. Right. Um, how might you encourage, you know, quote, the average lay person, you know, sitting yeah. in the pew, um, you know, how might you encourage them to help bring about this reality? What are some practical things that they, you know, that each of us can be doing uh, yeah. In, in the midst of trying to bring about this vision of a fruitful, joyful, evangelizing parish? Because I don't think anybody's going to argue with, yeah, I want to be a part of that. Right, right. Yeah, and, you know, the, this this book is really kind of aimed towards parish renewal, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of this depends on what, uh, well, I, I guess I'll go ahead and say this, what your role is in the parish, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, right. obviously, obviously you are on parish council, right? 
or uh, you're already deeply involved in the catechetical ministry of your church, of your parish and so forth, you have a voice that is uh, a little different, okay, than somebody who is sitting in the pews and just kind of wishing he or she could be used, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I guess that's my way of saying there's not an easy answer to this, but on the other hand, I think the more that we understand that we're called to be different, right? Mm -hmm. That we can't keep doing the same things that we're doing and call it good. When we see our parishes shrinking and fewer and fewer people who are young adults attending, I mean, that should really be a red, red flag. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not, reason to panic I, I don't think we need to panic but i do think it's reason to pray right mm. and, and to prepare yourself if not anyone else in your parish right you know to really be asking that question is like lord here well not a question it's a statement it's one said by you know so many of the prophets lord here i am mm -hmm. here i am use me use me and then listen to what the Lord has to say and act on that. Even if you're a little bit wrong on this, mm -hmm. I mean, I think the Lord smiles on these things if you acted in good faith mm -hmm. and you get better at hearing the Lord's voice the next time. If you are somebody who is sort of working more within the internal leadership of the parish, mm -hmm. you're in a very privileged position to really begin talking about, we need to take this seriously. We need to take some uh, calculated and strategic risks. They're not necessarily risky. Um, in fact, I think it's riskier to not do anything, but it's gonna feel risky. Change is not something most people like, to be honest. <laughs> so maybe, you know, getting some people together is, and let, let's let's read about this together. I mean, there's so many opportunities out there, honestly. It's like, sure, you could read my book together, right? Mm -hmm. And then sort of things like, you know, maybe we can take some time to assess what our parish is doing right now. Mm -hmm. It's like, it seems like we're really strong on this model, but the other three aren't happening at all. Right. Right. That, that's kind of what I hope parishes will do with this is just sort of read the book and it'll be a little bit like a marriage, like, oh, that's what we're not doing. Mm -hmm. But there are lots of other good things for people to plug into and, and really kind of immerse themselves in as well. Revive Parishes is a really great um, video series. It's free now. You just mm -hmm. look it up on, on the web. Uh, that provide, if people aren't readers, and many people aren't you know, watching these videos together as a small group, um, and, and there's a lot of similar material about it's like, you know, how are we doing? It's like, how, how do we make this shift? To being an apostolic church because yeah. it is worth it um the people out there are worth it people do not need to be miserable mm -hmm. um and your life becomes so much more joyful when you actually step out and begin sharing the gospel in some very deliberate and vocal ways it doesn't mean being on a street corner most people are not called to that i'm not sure anybody's really called to it to be honest but it does mean the Lord wants you to share his good news with other people. We really live out of a call and there's really nothing that can, it's just such a joy and people don't believe it, right? They're just too scared of it. Like, no, no, no. 
you do this and after the first time where you feel slightly awkward then it becomes a joy an yeah. absolute joy Pope Francis was right on when he called his um, apostolic exaltation the joy of the gospel mm -hmm. like it's a joy yes and yeah so 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 if you're that person in the influence it, person of influence in your parish you know just do your very best to try to influence people that way. And that may include your pastor. Maybe your pastor has been praying on this, really wants to start like something like this, but doesn't think that he has people on his side. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just let him know. It's like, I am. <laughs> okay. Well, I would I mean, be happy to be part of this. Yeah. I mean, one of the most fundamental things, you know, to show that is just to say to father, Hey, you know, you made this decision, whatever change it is and say, I support you because I'm, I'm I trust yes. that you're doing what's best for the community, um, right? And uh, you know, and and that means that we have to trust that the Lord is working in our community, um, and uh, and He's He's showing the way. Um, Absolutely. So, for for you personally, what what's been the most challenging about writing and sharing this message, you know, with others? Oh goodness, um, that's a great question. You know, I really enjoy writing, so I'm not positive that that was super challenging, although it was in a pandemic, so that was kind of challenging. <laughs> that wasn't the easiest thing ever. You know, I, I guess the thing that I find challenging sometimes is sometimes it feels like um, people are not taking the call to evangelization with the degree of seriousness that they should, yeah. you know? It's yep. like, I, I get, I'll be perfectly honest. It's kind of like, I, I get frustrated when I encounter people who think that this is an extra, right? It's like, well, this is your thing now. It's kind of mm -hmm. like, you know, you happen to like the evangelization thing. And some of us kind of like this other thing in the church and like that other thing in the church. And I just go, it's like, okay, you know, they're all good things. They're all good things. But on the other hand, the Lord, like his parting words to us as he was ascending and ascended into heaven, right? Go and make disciples of all nations. You tend to remember the words that somebody gives you before they leave you, right? Mm -hmm. If you ever sit at the, uh, at the deathbed of a person you love, you remember those last words. Those were his last words. <laughs> okay. He yeah. meant them. He's meant them at that particular point to say them. It's like, look, it's almost like, People, if you do nothing else, go into the cycles of all nations. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this this is nothing extra. It's so important, and I keep going back to um, my students who would just, you know, sort of share all the pain in their hearts and didn't know, uh, even though I was talking to them about it, didn't know that there was something better. And it's because I wasn't talking to them about it in the right way. They were not getting that first that first evangelical uh, reaching out of the hands, like come and see, mm -hmm. come and see. I, I, I had assumed they had already come and seen. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think too many of us do that. So I get frustrated with people who are just like me. So that's something for me to work on. There you go. <laughs> so it sounds like, you know, this is helping you on your journey towards sanctity. <laughs> but, yeah. That and many other things, right? <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. So, so what, what, what's been the one idea or, or habit or practice that's been key for you in living out the life that God is calling you to? Ooh, 
a habit or practice? Well, I mean, I think obviously prayer. It's, I would say that I learned mm, maybe a couple of years ago that if I'm not able to get silent prayer into my day and, and mm. preferably silent prayer uh, before the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, mm-hmm. um, I won't say my day is sunk, but on the other hand, it just doesn't go as well. Mm-hmm. It's like, and I don't know what to do as somebody who works for the diocese unless that time before the Lord happens. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's a remarkable thing to say because it's not always the most absolutely consoling time of my day. Often I'm trying to keep things out of my mind. It's like focus, focus, focus. It's like, but at a certain level, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, if I do it, if I am there, things happen in a way that's really different for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm a big advocate of the practice of Eucharistic adoration. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not always available to me where I live. Uh, but for most people, they can sit before the tabernacle with the Blessed Sacrament. And, um, well, I encourage everybody out there is like, you know, if you're not doing this, not to put down any other prayer practice that you may have, you may just want to try this mm-hmm. and, and just see, um, if and how it changes things in terms of how you live out your life. Mm. Amen. Um, I, I can definitely attest to, to that as well. Uh, too many signs and wonders uh, to share um, yeah. how yeah. the time before him has shaped and changed, um, you know, different things. So one, one final kind of little bit of fun question. Uh, if you yeah. can go back in time, uh, share one piece of advice with your 18-year-old self, what would it be? Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. Um, my 18-year-old self, you know, my 18-year-old self thought she was going to be a theater major, uh, maybe with a little side of uh, English writing and journalism. So I guess I would tell her, it's like, don't be afraid. It's really going to turn out differently than you think, but it's going to be really good. <laughs> How's that? Oh, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I, I think uh, that that's something that's applicable for all of us. Uh, don't be right. afraid. It's going to be really good. Uh, and that's what our Lord tells us all the time. Um, uh, right. I can't believe our time has already run out. Um, it's been such a joy and a pleasure to be able to uh, spend time with you today, Susan, and also to talk about your book, um, which I really think is um, an important step, as you were saying before, to give people kind of a structure upon which it is that they can understand, okay, our Lord, he gave us these instructions, all right, now how can I be living this out individually, but then also, most importantly, communally? Um, because yeah. uh, we won't get to heaven on our own. Uh, no, no saint uh, got there on his own. Uh, nope. That's right. Saints all come in clusters. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We got to be there for each other. So 
So thank you. This has been such a such a fun podcast, and I really appreciate the interview. No, not at all. And so for everybody out there who's listening, know of my continued prayers for each and every one of you, particularly that you can continue to do whatever it takes so that together we can tell the master of death, not today. God bless everybody. So what might be some resolutions that you could take from the conversation Susan and I had today? Well, one of the first is to practice radical hospitality. That idea of radical hospitality where you're turning towards the other person, you're welcoming, quote, the stranger, even though you might have seen people uh, in the pew next to you for years. Do you know their names? Do you know their family? Do you know what's going on? Do they? Do you know where they work? Do you know what their struggles are? Have you asked, can I pray for you? So practice radical hospitality. That's, that's the first suggestion you know, for you. The second is to share the gospel as the Lord calls you to, particularly sharing the message that God is good and loves the person that you're speaking with. And that he has a great plan for them. Just like God is good and loves you and has a great plan for you. In the same way, resolve to share that message, that life-giving message of the good news with someone else. And third, get a copy of Susan's book and read it. I can tell you that it will definitely help you be able to start taking some steps. To be able to start seeing the change that you wish to see in the world around you. And that is just a paraphrase of Mother Teresa of Calcutta. When people would come and ask her, what can we do? How can we serve? And she said, go home and be the difference that you want to see around you in your own hometown. So in the same way, do the same. So get, get a copy of that book and read it and then be that difference that you want to see. Hey there, Christina Simmons, and just wanted to briefly invite you to participate in another special series of the Say Yes to Holiness podcast. And this is the Summer to Fall Audio Online Retreat. This retreat's going to be CS Reading from the Spiritual Classic, The Soul of the Apostolate by Dom John Baptiste Chattard, and it's going to also include a brief reflection and daily resolution that's all designed to help you incorporate and live out that wisdom in your daily life. So I invite you to join me for this special way for you to be able to continue to journey towards holiness. Just go to the website, say yes to holiness.com and sign up today. Thanks again for spending time with me today. If you have any suggestions for upcoming podcasts, please leave me a voicemail using the link in the podcast show notes. Or you can visit my website at sayyestoholiness.com or send me an email at christinasimmons at gmail.com. I look forward to the opportunity to continue the conversation we've begun here today. In the interim, please know my continued prayers for you and your loved ones especially that each of us may continue to strive to do whatever it takes 
in order to grow in holiness as we tell the master of death, not today. I look forward to having a conversation with you again soon. God bless. Thank you.